like right now, I think the rand is about 15, maybe 15.1, 15.13 to a dollar, something like that. If we can keep the rand here over 15, I'm happy. Doing the, the initial stages of Corona, we were, as the Americans like to say, we were balling out of control because the rand was like up to 19. We were going places. Oh, extra guacamole. Yep. Let me get another <laughs> bottle of wine. Oh, you want to eat? Put it on my tab because we had uh, so much extra, you know, like extra. It was like everybody was like, okay, you, I got the bill this time. No, no, girl, you got, I got it. Because, yeah, we had that. Now we're kind of like, okay, how we split this? Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that elevates, celebrates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and flourishing abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American and Trinidadian woman based in Spain. I am not only an award-winning podcaster, but I'm also a business strategist extraordinaire, if you will, that helps Black women and women of color leverage their brilliance, their expertise, their talents, and their skills into viable, sustainable, and impactful businesses. Businesses that make them not only professionally fulfilled, but also financially abundant while they pursue thriving lives abroad. If that sounds like something you're interested in, go ahead and check out my personal website at christinejob.com. And for those of you that are interested in the Move Abroad with Intention course, stay tuned to the end of this episode for more information on how you can join me live. So as you all know, and for those of you who are new, welcome. Flourish in the Foreign is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And so I ask you to please support this solo podcaster. Yes, I am an indie solo podcaster. I don't got a team. It is all me all the time. I'm hoping that is going to change soon, though. <laughs> So please support this here podcast. You can support the podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash Flourish Foreign and buying me a coffee. You can also purchase an item off the Flourish in the Foreign wish list, which is a list of absolutely necessary production tools and software. If you don't know how much it costs to run a podcast, go ahead and just take a look at this wish list and it'll start giving you an idea of how much it costs to run your own podcast. So again, if you'd like to support the podcast in that way, go to buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. You can also support the podcast by subscribing to this podcast on whichever platform that you listen. Be sure to rate the podcast five stars and leave a review. Let me know and the world know why you like Flourish in the Foreign. It means so much to me personally, but also it helps with visibility and discoverability. So please go ahead and leave review for Flourish in the Foreign. 
Also, it is so important for you to share the podcast, share it on your IG, your Twitter, your Facebook, your Mastodon, your LinkedIn, all of the things, your Pinterest, what have you. Please share this podcast. Do not gatekeep this podcast. Share with all the people that you know and let them be inspired by all of these amazing Black women. All right. Thank you so much for your support. I deeply appreciate it. On to the next episode. Today's episode is a bonus episode and it's a podcast swap. Yes, you know it. I love to support other Black women creators and that is what today's episode is. It is an episode from Miss Adelia Borchade. Y'all may know her as the Picky Girl Travels the World. I I really adore Adelia. She knows that. Adelia was actually one of my very first guests on this podcast. Check out her episode, season one, episode four, I believe. At the time of our recording, she was stuck in China. And now she's living her best life in Mexico City. You see, it's just amazing. Today's episode is an episode from her very popular YouTube channel. So if you have not subscribed, be sure to subscribe to the Picky Girl Travels the World YouTube channel and features Kina Williams, who lives in South Africa. If you've been out here in these living abroad streets, or maybe you're part of nomadness and things like that, you probably have heard about Kina, or at least you've heard about her epic parties and gatherings that she throws around the world. So without further ado, I'm gonna let Adelia and Kina tell you all about it. Thank you for joining. My name is Adelia Borchade. Although most people on the internet know me better as Picky Girl Travels the World. I help Black women live the life they want by helping them master their money. And that life that they want can include traveling the world or moving abroad, like my guest tonight, Miss Kina Williams did. And that's why I assume you're all here, because you want to hear about what her life is like in South Africa. So if you've got questions, be sure to drop those in the chat. Say hello to everybody, Kina. Hi, everyone. Hope you guys are doing well out there. Oh, we should be, we should all be really grateful that Kina is here because she is in South Africa and it's like 2 a.m. in the morning. So we, we're, we're going to try and keep, we're going to keep this to a tight hour today. So we're just going to jump right in. You moved, I was trying to do the math. You moved to South Africa in 2019. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. November, okay. 2019. November, 2019. November, 2019. I'm curious about, I, this is going to sound like a simple question, why? But like, how did you get to the place or like that you said, this is it, I'm going to move out of the United States? Okay, that's a great question. I had always had this plan that I was going to leave. I just didn't know at the time exactly where I was going. Around 2017, 2018, I was walking around saying Malaysia or bust. <laughs> that was my plan originally to move to Malaysia, but that didn't happen. I ended up meeting somebody in 2018 
here in South Africa on one of my trips, got engaged to someone, November, I'm sorry, December, 2018. And uh, me and the young man, we decided that I would actually come to South Africa. We ended up splitting three months later, amicable split, might I add. And I decided, you know what? I'm going. I don't need him. I'll just go anyway. So I ended up coming to South Africa that same year in 2019. Okay. So do you think had you not been involved with him, whether that worked out or not, because you said you were originally planning for Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Do you think had you never met him that you might be talking to us from Malaysia right now? (laughs) Maybe, maybe I'd planned to, at the time I was going to go to Malaysia, I looked at various different visa processes to, to go to Malaysia. And when I met him and it didn't work out, I was like, well, you know, I have Malaysia or let me look at what the South African visa process is like. I looked at it and I was like, okay, this looks doable. Let me just go to South Africa. I have been coming to South Africa for many years at that point. I had friends here. I knew the lay of the land, if you will. So I felt like, okay, this is a good move that I can make. Let me just make this move. And you mentioned like being there on one of your trips. I forgot to mention this, that you run, I was going to call it a boutique travel company. Would that be correct? Or is, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So you, you are to say that Kina is well-traveled is an, is the understatement of the century. So you, so you had your own business. So for a lot of people moving abroad, one of their big hangups is, you know, like, how am I going to eat? Where am I going to get money from? So you already had your own business before you, before you left the United States. Yeah. Were you going to say something else? No, no, no. I'm agreeing okay. with you. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you moved to South Africa in November of 2019. When was it that you made the decision? This is it. I'm moving. Let me start, you know, getting rid of my stuff, selling my stuff. How, how long was that time period? Well, I'll have to tell you a funny story. Originally when I decided that I was going to move to South Africa, I thought that I would quit my job in 2020, January, 2020, I had, I think it was one 2020 was the date that I was going to quit my job. And a friend of mine told me, she says, you will never make it to that date. You just won't make it. And I was like, whatever girl, I'll make it to the date. (laughs) I I never made it to the date, (laughs) never made it to the date, ended up leaving my job in September 30th, 2019. So I had a house. I still have my house in California three-story, three-bedroom condo with a lot of stuff. I had furniture, stuff that had been in my house since I had been in there so many years. And I had to basically, uh, originally I was, uh, you know, trying to get things situated, break down bags, get rid of furniture, clothes, shoes, TVs, everything. Because, um, hold on, because math is not my strong suit. But how long? So you made the decision in September and the original plan was January, right? Well, I was originally planning to leave the job in January of 2020. What happened was I ended up leaving my job in September, 2019. I submitted my resignation in three weeks in advance 
And then I was like, okay, I need to go now. Okay. So you ended up leaving the job and you were like, why am I sticking around here? You've already told us you left and arrived in South Africa in November. Yes. <laughs> so I interrupted you. How did you, cause you had a house, you had cars, you had stuff. Yes. How yes. did you, how did you make that happen? The biggest thing I had to do was basically I had to let go, let go of material things and say, okay, you know what? I don't need this. Let me get rid of this. I think the biggest thing for people that are moving overseas, especially if you own real estate in the States is do I sell my house? And I decided to keep my house, which looking at the current real estate market now, maybe I should sell, <laughs> maybe I should sell it at this point because I'd make a killing at this point. Oh, but yeah. I decided to uh, to keep my house and rent that out. So I ended up, you know, interviewing different property management companies to do that. But the hardest part I will say for me was basically moving my things out of the house. I actually started to do everything one by one. And it gets a little, I'm not gonna lie, it gets a little sentimental where you are, you know, like, oh my gosh, I used to wear that when I was four. I'm in my 40s, you know, do I really need, <laughs> do I really need the stuff? And I don't think that, you know, you need these things. I actually hired, there's a young lady that she's based in the Los Angeles area. And she is a, a organizer, like a fabulous organizer. And I actually hired her to come to my house to help me break down my garage because that's where most of the, most of the problems were in my garage. And what I didn't realize was that the time that I spent in my garage really became like a therapy session because I'm looking at pictures like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these things were here. I haven't looked at this. I was married before. I still had things from my ex-husband still in my garage. I've had boyfriends since then and some of their things were still in my garage. I haven't seen these men in, you know, <laughs> years. Like, why was I holding on to all of this trash? Why? You know, why did I let this happen? And just watching it being released, it's almost like losing weight, like instantly, like watching things go. I had rented one of those big dumpsters and she was in a dumpster and she would look and she's like, are you okay? Are you ready? There was one moment I tell people I'm not really a deeply emotional person, but ended up breaking out, crying, looking at stuff and then had to have my moment. And I was like, okay, let it go. Let it go. And the things that I did decide to keep, some of those are at a friend's house in California. The rest of them, I put them on a, and I shipped them out, sent them to my brother. And I came to South Africa with four bags, okay. which half of that I haven't even used. <laughs> so even with four bags, you brought too much stuff. <laughs> too much. Okay. Too much. So, so when you started this process of cleaning out the house, deciding whether or not you were going to keep the house, did you have the November date in mind? I knew I had to leave in November regardless. So I actually started interviewing property management companies in May, May 2019. I knew I was going to leave. I just wasn't sure exactly when. So I started interviewing property management companies to say, okay, this is what my plan is. You know, what do you think? What do you think I could get for my house? And when it was time, I contacted the company that I liked the most and went with that. Okay. Cause we did have a question. Somebody wanted you to address what that's been like working with the property management company. Cause they're considering that. 
For me, the property management company that I use, I use women's intuition is exactly what I did to pick my property management company. I contacted roughly four to six different companies, looked online, read reviews and everything. And the company that I selected, I read their reviews. They had some bad reviews, but the bad reviews that they had, they weren't really bad. There were things that were outside the scope of the property management company. They were things that a landlord probably said, no, we're not going to do this. So I read things and said, okay, just, okay, that's not their fault. That's because that landlord decided, okay, we're not going to give you a, a new paint job or we're not going to do something like that. That's not a management issue. Yeah, They ended up being the most expensive company that I use, but they have been by far probably one of the most professional companies out there. And oddly, I was talking to a friend last night that she lives in my old city in California. And we were talking about property management companies, how much we love our property management companies. And we have the same company. And I was like, then we both made the right decision. Okay. Okay. And I'm curious, how, how does that work? Do, do you pay them a fee per month or is it like, like, I'm trying to understand how they make their money. So they, they come up with the rent, but they think the rent should be, they do, I think they're called comps in the neighborhood to see what the rental market looks like. They came up with the rent and they asked me if I was fine with it. We actually modified what they originally, what they originally wanted and they take a percentage. So they take their percentage as soon as the tenant pays and I just get the rest. Okay. So it's a percentage off of the rent. Okay. 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 And for those that may be asking, most of these companies, they range anywhere between seven to 10% and I'm actually paying nine. Yeah. I mean, for you, for you to speak so glowingly of the experience, Mm -hmm. you're getting, you know, like that's 9% well spent sounds like. Yes. Yes. And especially, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I can't imagine because I was a landlord who was just Mm -hmm. living on the other side of town and it was horrible. So I can only imagine being all the way in South Africa and trying to manage a property or dealing with a property management company that wasn't so great. Right. And definitely, I will say this, especially with this time, I I hate saying this term, the pandemic or the panini, as some of us like to say, that particular company. And this is another thing for any of your guests that may want to get into a property management companies. My property management company, they actually, my tenants were having issues paying their rent and they basically found out early that they weren't going to be able to make their rent, file documents so they could receive the renter's assistance. So that was like something where I didn't have to worry about it. They were basically like, we're on it. This is what we're doing. I didn't have to think about anything. So every time I look at that 9%, I'm just like, it's worth it. No, I know someone who was, when the pandemic started, was living in Southeast Asia, had a renter in their house, came back, the person was squatting, they damaged the property. I mean, like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. The, the I, I still don't think all this time later, I don't know that the court case has been handled. So the fact that they were proactive and that they did something to help keep the people in the house and help them get renter's insurance, that, that says everything. Yes, yes it Definitely. does. Okay. So 
You are, you've got the organizer there, you know, you've got the dumpster, it's September, Mm -hmm. you knew you had to be gone by November. At this point, was it, was it, you weren't working. So was this literally what you were doing every day? Literally. (laughs) That's what I was doing. So basically probably the first week after I quit my job, I wasn't doing anything. I was just like, I'm not going to work. So (laughs) I was excited. (laughs) I was excited about that, uh, you know, that I wasn't going to work. So I kind of relaxed a little bit, but probably within that second week or so, I basically kicked into action and started the process because I had a three-story condo. I just started moving things from the top floor to the second floor. And so you weed out from this floor, weed out from that floor, weed out from the third floor. I started, you know, things that I wanted to keep, started putting them in my living room. So I knew that, okay, this is what I'm keeping. Things that were going away. I actually, we have a community group, a Facebook community group where I posted, Hey, come to this address. This is what's on the, uh, on my driveway. If you want it, just take it. I don't care. Just, just come and get it. You just needed it gone. I just needed it gone. And it just made me think about something interesting. A lot of people were laughing at me because I was selling my things for like dirt cheap. And I told someone it was easier for me to sell things for a cheaper price than trying to sell for more because number one, I'm giving what I'm calling my value. And my value is higher than what someone else. No one cares that I've had this chair since I was to that part. You know, or whatever. They just say, Oh, it's a cheap chair. Let me get, just get this chair and go. So I basically, you know, my whole dining room set, I think I sold it for $75, a whole set, just because it was cheaper for me to get $75 than to pay somebody to come and get it. And I'd make nothing. So I just, you know, I was, had stuff laying out in my front yard and just, yeah, (laughs) it was crazy. That's one of the things that I always caution people about that if they are, because, you know, depending on how long you plan to be gone, and obviously you were like, I'm going to be gone, like for a very long time, if not forever, that some people, if they know it's just going to be a couple of years, they keep things. But if you are in a situation where you know you need to get rid of your things, I always caution people, don't get caught up in, well, this is how much I paid for this thing. Mm -hmm. This is Mm -hmm. how much it's worth. No, what you have is worth what people are willing to pay for it. And Mm -hmm. if if you're trying to get out, you're trying to be done. I didn't sell my stuff quite that cheap, but Mm -hmm. like I priced stuff to move because ultimately I needed it gone. You know, trying... Trying to, if you, if you need the money from selling your things to fund your new life, you, I, you got to build some time in for that. You mm-hmm. can't be choicy about prices and be like, but I want to leave next month. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. not going to work. Right. And I had two cars. So one of my cars I gave to one of my relatives, the other car, which I laugh about this. I had an Audi. I sold it for like so cheap that even to the point I was just like, oh my gosh, I was, that's how I knew I was ready to go. I was just like, here, take this car. Okay. Sign these papers. Thank you for this money. Bye. That was done. You know, I was just done at that point. Yes, Rashida, you're right. I do. I, it is, it may be becoming my life's work to help free people because it's okay to own things, but don't let your Mm -hmm. things own you. Yes. See, so I'm, I'm a liberator. What I do is good. She needs to get (laughs) off my back about that. 
<laughs> okay. So you, you mentioned before that you done, did some visa research. When mm-hmm. you moved to South Africa, you were moving on like a residency visa? A temporary residency visa is what I was applying for for South Africa. They have several different types and I picked, I think one that is working the best for me here. Okay. I know this because I maybe I spoke to you back in November 2019 that mm-hmm. you were, I know at one point you were like, well, I'll be here and we'll see, you know, how it feels. Are you still in that thought or is Johannesburg and South Africa home now? You know, when people say, when are you coming home? And I'm like, but I'm already here, you know, <laughs> I'm here, I'm here in South Africa. So I, at this point, I consider this place home because I can't, if, if, I, if I were to come to the States, number one, people say, oh, you have your house, you can go to your house. My house is rented. Those people, if I knocked on the door, they wouldn't even know, they don't even know who I am. They don't even know my name. And I prefer it that way, that, that they don't know who I am. So I can't go back to my house. I can't do anything. My aunt, I will always remember her words to me. She told me, you know, if you ever need to come back, you can come back. But I like to think at my age, I, if I can't figure it out, I need to, you know, keep going until I can figure out what I need to do. I don't want to have to go back. Okay. So how long was the process for your visa residency? Okay. I have, and I currently have a temporary residency here in South Africa. So I actually have residency based off of retirement. Although I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm retired per se, but I do not work in South Africa. I do not hold a job here. I don't go to a nine to five or anything like that. But here in South Africa, they have retiree visas. They're good for four years. And I'm actually on my second visa. I had one, the first one, it was only good for about two and a half years only because my passport was expiring. My passport, I have a new one now, which I got here in South Africa in two weeks. Yeah, I got it in two weeks here last year. And I'm now on my a new temporary residency permit that's good for four years. However, in April, my goal is to apply for permanent residency. Starting April, I think I can, I'm going to apply and see what happens. Okay. Well, okay. Well, wait. So you said, see what happens. I guess I'm working from the thought of like, you meet the requirements, you'll get permanent residency. Is it, does it not work that way there? It depends on the, which category you're going under. And, and it depends on what you submit. Okay. Is this enough for them? Will they take that? I'm going I'm going to do something interesting. I want to apply for residency based off of finances is what I want to do. And it's a little bit tricky because you have to prove net worth. And I want to prove net net worth in some strange ways. And I I think I can do it. I've done the numbers and I've looked at it and I said, based off of the application package that I'm going to submit, which will probably be about this thick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they should should grant it. So I've already started gathering bank statements, retirement accounts, real estate, because that's network net part of your network. You also have equity, also part of network and things of this nature, other accounts that I have, assets, anything, put this package together, do all the other things like the medical report, the radiological report. Medical um, report? 
No, I mean, you have to do it. You have to do a medical I mean, report. Well, okay. Like <laughs> I had work visas in Kuwait and in China, and they are very upfront. Like we not letting sick people in our country. We not letting pregnant folks in our country. Like because we don't want you having an anchor baby. <laughs> so I get that there, but I guess for like residency, that never occurred to me that they would have yeah. a requirement like that. Yeah, it's you have to make sure they don't want you to have TB here. That's the thing. They don't want you to have that. So you have to take the, the chest x-ray is what they're really looking for. A doctor has to sign off that, you know, that you're okay, which is I'm like, how can you even prove that? I mean, I can act good for 10 minutes, but <laughs> you know, that's just what they're looking for. I mean, they, they know that to check that and uh, pay a fee. And uh, the only thing is the process here takes a very long time where I could apply in April. I might not hear a about this until two years from now. So wow. I'm just going to submit wow. and that's why I said, see what happens. Wow. And you're and this is a process that obviously can be done within the country. For me, it can be done within the country because I already have I already have one of the temporary residency permits. If I was if I did not have this, I could do this from states. Okay. Okay. Oh wow. Two years. Maybe, maybe more. That's that's wild. Because I'm just thinking about my experience getting residency here. Like literally, uh-huh. it's 15 minutes. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> that is wild. Oh, man. So w- I'm in a multitude of Black expat, Black people moving abroad groups so on and so forth. And there's always a conversation about, well, you know, we black folks and we need to move to Africa. But then there are then conversations about like the logistics of that, you know, cost of living. Do they have good Wi-Fi? You know, like all of those things. So I don't know if you can speak to cost of living. Yeah, I can speak to it a, a bit. I'll say this. I'm in uh, just outside of Johannesburg, South Africa. This city is pretty, let me just call it, it's a cosmopolitan city. It's metropolitan. It is a big city. Everything that you could possibly want outside of grits, they got here. So <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we have that. So you have access to, I mean, I'm, you can see me. I'm on a high-speed fiber right now. We have, you know, you know, luxury estates here. There are people that drive really nice cars here. We have everything you could possibly want here. So I don't think that, uh, at least for South Africa, I can say that this country has the amenities that a person may be looking for. I also think perhaps, I think Kenya may have these things as well and so forth. The, the biggest challenge I will say for African countries, I think most people that have negative things to say, I'm just going to say this jokingly, but seriously, if you have not spent six months in the country, you don't really have enough to uh, enough information to say what actually happens. A lot of people talk about load shedding in South Africa. Load shedding is where, you know, the power goes out for could be four hours at a time, six hours could be two hours or what have you. However, my lights are on. So I live somewhere that has backup generator, backup water, backup fiber, backup cell towers. It just it literally depends on where you live, where you live 
and the amenities that you're willing to that you're willing to pay for. In regards to cost of living, that's another interesting thing. It all depends on what <laughs> what do you want? You know, do you want air conditioning? Do you want a luxury high rise apartment? Do wait, you wait, want wait, wait, wait. do you want air conditioning? <laughs> Do you want? <laughs> is the weather okay? Is the weather such that you could be comfortable without it? Yes and no, but I'll say this: the average house in South Africa, average house probably does not have air conditioning. So uh, most Airbnbs, you'll see it in Airbnbs, they will have it. If you're in a hotel, they will have an air system, but a lot of houses, they do not. And if they don't have air, they also don't have heat. So what people do is- I live in a place like that. No, they don't have air or heat. So what you do is you, you know, you buy a system, either what you call those things like a gas heater, or you buy little heating units, or like most people, they just have fans open up their windows and that's it. For me, I need air. I'm I'm a woman of a certain age, you know, so I need air. (laughs) So I actually had air conditioning installed in my place about a month or so ago. So now I have heat and air. I'm I'm really excited about it. (laughs) And you're okay. Well, hold on, because that begs another question, because I know that your place is new construction, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it was new construction, but it didn't come with heating and air. Mm-hmm. They huh. don't. Okay. Again, like I live in Mexico City, outside of hotels or foreigners who like rehab a place and put it in. It's very rare here. So, if anybody's watching this and they're like, "Why is she tripping about the AC?" Like I live someplace where we don't have it. You know, you get cold, yeah. is go get a blanket, but. Mm-hmm in a place where it sounds like it does get hot enough where you would want AC, I am surprised that that's not something that would automatically come in new construction. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one as well, as we're saying, because I'm in a a local community group for my, for my, in my complex. And that was one of our biggest complaints that we were complaining about that this place did not come with that. There are other places that have it. It just depends on, again, location where you live. But at this point, I have heat and I have air and I'm excited about it. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Because it's getting ready to be winter for y'all, huh? It will be winter starting around May. About May, we hit winter here. Okay. All right. So you were going to talk about cost of living before I interrupted you. Cost cost of living. When I first came here, I I lived in a hotel for about roughly a year and a half. And um, which was interesting. (laughs) Just living in a hotel is is an interesting, interesting thing. I will say the prices were reasonable. I had a one bedroom, fully furnished apartment, had a, a nice king size bed, furniture, everything you could think of. I had it in my apartment. With the exchange rate, I was paying about maybe eight, eight fifty a month or so, something like that. It wasn't that expensive. But because I lived in a hotel, I had access to the pool, the gym, the sauna. The steam room. I also had room service when I needed it. They had party facilities. So I would have pool parties here in the VIP section because I was a resident. I didn't have to pay extra for it. I just go downstairs and do my little what have you. And they like, okay, yes, Ms. Williams. And you know, that was that. So I had special amenities. There are other folks that I know here that they may live somewhere that it may be less expensive. I have a friend that lived 
about five minutes away from me, they had just a basic one bedroom apartment. Their apartment was about three, three fifty, but their building did not have a generator. So my building had a generator. So I always had electricity, had backup water, always had Wi-Fi at that location. So it depends on what your trade-offs are. And I had air conditioning and heat at the other location where my friend that lived five minutes away, they did not have that. Okay. Okay. You mentioned at the exchange rate, is the RAND fairly volatile? Like, does it it's, fluctuate a lot? Not really. We make jokes out here that like right now, I think the RAND is about 15, maybe 15.1, 15.13 to a dollar, something like that. If we can keep the RAND here over 15, I'm happy. Doing the, the initial stages of Corona, we were, as the Americans like to say, we were balling out of control because the RAND was like up to 19. We were going places. Oh, extra guacamole. Yep. Let me get another <laughs> bottle of wine. Oh, you want to eat? Put it on my tab because we had uh, so much extra, you know, like extra. It was like everybody was like, okay, you, I got the bill this time. No, no, girl, you got, I got it. Because, yeah, we had that. Now we're kind of like, okay, how are we splitting this? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not that bad. But, you know, but that was during the pandemic. I think most countries were experiences, experiencing, you know, such fluctuations. Now at this point, we pretty much stay between, I would say, 14.5 to about 16 most okay. of the time, which is okay. As long as I'm like around that 15 mark, I'm okay. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, please consider supporting this podcast by buying me a coffee or purchasing an item off the podcast wish list on Buy Me a Coffee. So you can either go to buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign and buy me a coffee, or you can purchase an item off our wish list. Either way, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed and you left a review. And now on to the rest of the episode. Were there any adjustments that you had to make? Because you, we've talked about the fact you own a travel company, you are well-traveled, you've been almost everywhere, but were there, so you've traveled a lot, but this time you were living outside of the U.S. Was that an adjustment? You know, I don't know. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, the culture shock of actually living somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm going through it and I, and, and I just didn't really realize it. I will say... In this particular country, a lot of people, which I, I think this is so bizarre, they would call me colored. And I would look at them and say, what are you talking about? South Africa has three classifications of race here. You're either black, white, or colored. Those of you that are Americans, you know, calling someone colored is a, is a derogatory thing. It's a terrible thing. However, in South Africa, it is not, it's not a terrible thing. It's someone that has the poison race mixed with maybe Dutch, um, some I would, other I would imagine if you're not dark skinned, if you're not dark skinned, you're probably, they will probably assume you're colored is what I would think. Mm, for the most part, which 
someone assumed, you know, someone came up to me and said, oh, are you colored? I'm looking at them like, what? No, because most of them, they speak Afrikaans or some other other language. But so I see somebody's coming here that most live in the Western Cape. That's true. You don't see that many up in the area where I am. I'm in the Haunting province. So not too many in this particular area. But I think that was one thing. But once I, you know, kind of realized, okay, this is, you know, this is in my country. This is, you know, these folks country. Let me just all right, this is how it is. There are certain things we want to change in different in countries, but it's not my job to change <laughs> to change that. Another thing is language. South Africa has 11 official languages, 11 official languages from Zulu, Swana, Kosa, Swati, Venda, Pedi, so many different like Afrikaans, English, so many languages. So a lot of people will come up to me and they will start speaking, you know, Unjani, and I'm like, Wait, I'm not Zulu, you know, and they, oh, oh, okay, hello. So I think a lot of people would make the assumption that I'm a local until they hear my accent, then it's just a dead giveaway. So at this point I was learning, and please don't ask me to speak any Zulu, but I was taking some Zulu classes last year, but I have not, um, have not, have not done a very good job with that. Unfortunately, I've tried, but it's a hard, but I can make clicks. <laughs> now, do you, does that mean something? Like uh, that's the, that's the Q in Zulu. So you've got a few. You got the Q, C, and I think the Z, if I'm not mistaken. Like the, you can see a word that's like C E L E. It's like if I'm not mistaken. So they did teach me that. Okay, that sounds exhausting. It, really <laughs> it is. <laughs> we had I before I forget, somebody asked about like the people who live in your building. Are they mostly locals? Are they foreigners? In my where I live right now, I would say most of the people in this building are they're, they're mostly locals. They're mostly local people. We've got people. And if you want to know about demographics, we've got a lot of everybody's in this building. South Africa is called Rainbow Nation because they have so many different, I guess you could say nationalities for this point. My next door neighbor, I'm not really sure where they're from, but I think they may be Middle Eastern. The guy that's down the hall is South African. We have some Caucasian folks here as well. We've got people from neighboring countries like Zimbabwe here. We've got people that are of Indian descent, which most people from Indian descent in this area, they're from Durban. There's some, a few. I only know, I think of only one expat that lives here. And the only reason she's here is because I mentioned it to her. If she's listening, hey, I hope you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's mostly, mostly local, local people in this building. Okay. Waffle Cat Studio wants to know how you arrived choosing Joburg over other large metropolitan areas. That's an excellent question. Joburg over Cape Town, over Durban, over huh? uh, and other cities. I will say one thing is, I, I will say this. A, a lot of people were surprised that I'm in, in the Joburg area versus Cape Town. Cape Town is aesthetically pleasing. It is a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous town. I'm not going to lie to you. It's gorgeous. The seafood is amazing. There. It's just amazing. However, I felt like, number one, I had more friends that were in the Joburg area. And I 
for me personally, I still feel like this. I feel like Joburg or the Joburg area, I should say, is like the heartbeat of Johannesburg. It is like the boom, 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 boom. This is like if Joburg's lifeline is cut off, this whole country is falling apart. It's just falling apart. So this is where the it's happening here. And also as a black person, you will see more, in my opinion, from what I've seen, I feel like you will see more people in this area black businesses, schools owned by black people, people that own touring companies like what I do, more people that they have something here called BEE, which is like a, a, a black business initiative. You will see most of those hotels that are actually in this particular area. You can go to areas that have been, ah, I don't know if this is the right word, regentrified. These are areas that they may have been bad neighborhoods at one time. Now they are revitalized, if you will. And you look at the people that own the businesses, there are black people that are owning these businesses in these particular areas. So you see, like, I, I look at the people that live in my, my building. My neighbor is a, is a black attorney. I know another guy here that is the, the South Africa equivalent of an Airbnb mogul, that guy, a, a black man here. And so I just feel like this is more, this is just more happening here you'll see more more progressiveness here whereas in in Cape Town I, if i go to Cape Town again it's a beautiful city if i go to a restaurant in Cape Town if i see black people in the restaurant they will be probably the ones working there where Joe Hannesburg come here everybody there around me will probably be black people and i feel like i can get information we can share become friends with people and start networking i feel like this particular area has more of that particular opportunity than I think I would ever get in Cape Town. But no, no rag on Cape Town. I just feel like, you know, my people. My no, people there's like, there's a lot that Joe Berg has to offer. That's like, yeah. well, why would I live somewhere else? No, right. I understand that. You have never met a stranger. Okay. So I am curious about like, because one of the things when you move to another country, you do need community. And for somebody like me, who is an introverted introvert, that is not always the easiest thing to do. But like I said, you have never met a stranger. So <laughs> how have you, I, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you been able to establish community? Have you been able to connect with locals? Yes, definitely. Like I said, I'm always, one thing about me is I think I'm nosy. You know, you know if you watch 227, if you remember Pearl was always outside watching, I think I'm kind of the Pearl. <laughs> I'm kind of the Pearl, but I'm not intrusive. I'm not intrusive. I'm just kind of like, you know, what's, you know, what's going on? You know, hi, how are you? What's going on? I'm Kina. You know, I'm new here. This is such and such and such, you know, what have you. So what I've done is basically I go out places and I'm like my father. I'll just strike up a conversation with anyone just to say, hey, how are you? Whatever. And most people, when they hear my accent, they want to talk to you anyway, because they want to know why are you here? Because most people are shocked that I'm here. It's like a, a mystery to people. But I am um, one of my neighbors. <laughs> the reason I met her was because she was having her, her birthday party. And uh, one day I was cleaning my spare bedroom and I heard some house music. I was like, okay, that sounds like something I like. And I saw these blue flashing lights coming from the penthouse unit. And I was like, 
what is going on? So we have here in my building, we have an internal group of, of owners and investors. And I sent a message. I said, I don't know who's having this party in the penthouse, but I'm, I'm coming up there. And the lady that owned it, she says, come up. This is the number to come to. So I came, I, you know, I go up here. I don't even know the woman I was had been cleaning. I go up there in my cleaning clothes. They're all up there in black and gold, high heels, stilettos. And I'm in here in my cleaning clothes. And the lady comes out, she hugs me like we were old friends. And I was like, wow, okay. I was only going to stay for, you know, one hour. One hour turned into like five or six. Oh, and wow. now she and I, we we do lunch at least twice a month. So, <laughs> so you, you know, make friendships that way. And then you get introduced to other folks' friends. I found out recently that there's someone famous that lives in my building and we connected actually on Friday and, uh, you know, just people are, you know, they want to talk. They hear the accent. They want to talk. If they've been to America, they want to tell you about their experience. Somebody I met had been to Kentucky and they were so, so excited telling me about their experience. So it's a cultural exchange where people want to talk. And <clears throat> I've been to, I've had the opportunity to befriend an Uber driver at one time before I was driving that took me to his sister's wedding and a tombstone unveiling in the village, like almost well, four wait. hours away from here. Well, wait, so that <laughs> wedding, because I saw that post on your IG. This is from some Uber driver that he was like, hey, you should yeah. come to my sister's wedding. Yeah. Like I said, y'all, she's never met a stranger. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> what is the best thing about living either in Johannesburg or living in South Africa? Ooh, uh, I'm just going to say the best thing, period. And I'm just going to switch your, your question up a little bit. I would say the best thing about living overseas or living abroad for, for me personally, not necessarily South Africa, is I have time. I have time. I have freedom. I can do whatever I want to do. I, I'm talking to you. It's almost three o'clock in the morning and I'm talking to you. I can do this, you know, because, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going anywhere tomorrow. So I can, I can do this. I feel like I have more time at this, at this point in my life, all the things that I've wanted to do when I was in America that I didn't have time to do because I was, you know, burnt out from the corporate job, stressed out because I didn't get, you know, whatever promotion or what have you. I can do that. I've, been involved in a mentoring situation with a young man I met literally on the street holding the sign. We were able to help him find a position to get some support, coaching and mentoring. Been able to volunteer at a local school, Hololo Academy, located in a township here in Johannesburg called Alex. I've had time to just basically find out that I actually like camping. Who knew? I didn't know. I've been camping like seven times since I've since I've been here, I'm actually wow. going again in two weeks. I had no idea. I like these things. You know, I've got, I'm going to the theater on Sunday. I, I live, I'm not really a, a gin or wine drinker, but if you live in South Africa, you have to do both. And I do both now. So I didn't know I like these things. So you're finding more about yourself. I know people, oh, I, I needed to find myself. I didn't need to find myself. I needed to know what else I like to do, but I didn't know. And because didn't I didn't have, have time. Space. So now I have time and freedom and people talk about, you know, money and things like that, where I'm like, you know, I can always make money, but I can't make, I can't make time. That part, that part, it, it being overseas has given you the space and the time to, I guess, find yourself, but really enjoy your life. 
You know, like yes. there's y'all can see why I titled this video like I did. She's li she is living the dream, mm -hmm. is she not? Mm -hmm. um, in my list of questions I have, because I've not been to South Africa yet. Okay. Uh, and I want to know about conveniences living there. So here in Mexico City, I can get anything delivered. I need cash. I want popcorn from my favorite movie theater. I can get anything. And then mm -hmm. I visited a place in Southern Mexico and I had to actually go to restaurants to get food there. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how people live like that. So I am curious about the level of convenience available in your life there. Well, we have a lot of convenience here. We have, like I said, we have Uber here. We have something called boat, which is like Uber, just a little bit cheaper. We have, I think in the States, they have Instacart. We have one card here, so I can get anything I want, even gin delivered to okay. me. Okay, yeah, all that. right. This is, this is sounding <laughs> like my kind of place, like, because I have gotten rum yeah. delivered yeah. more than once. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, can, I can get that. We also have Uber Eats. So Uber Eats, I can get everything. And one thing about Uber Eats, I think in the States, like the fee is like, I don't know, like $7 or so, $7, $8 or so. Here's like 50 cents. So it's not, it's not, it's not a lot of, of money. So we have pretty much everything. We do have a rail system here in Johannesburg. It is not, it doesn't go th that many places, mainly to a business district and to the airport, which is probably mainly where people that are going to be using, using it is just what they're doing. We have something similar to Amazon here called Take A Lot and superfluous. They don't have everything, but they have pretty much uh, everything that you could possibly want. We do have some Amazon delivery here. I've never tried it because you know pretty much everything I want, it's here. The only thing we don't have, or it may cost you, is if you want American products. I'm laughing because last week I went to the grocery store to get some stuff. There's a particular grocery store here that they specialize in international products. So international products, as you know, means international prices because oh, you're yes. going to pay. And uh, I saw someone wrote, wrote this in the, in the comments. Someone mentioned Cheetos and I don't really eat Cheetos that much. However, since I've been here, I, I, they have a, a, a local brand that would be similar, but the taste is just so disrespectful <laughs> that I just refuse to eat them. I just wait till I, you know, go home or people will actually bring them to me when they come to visit me. So if anyone is coming to visit me, please bring Cheetos. Bring, Thank Cheetos. You. bring Cheetos. And I think a bag that will cost about $2 in the States was like seven or $8 here. Hot sauce, crystal hot sauce, I guess it's maybe 50 cents. I don't know how much it is. Here's about three or $4. Uh, Lipso lemonade, I'm not sure how much it is in the States. It's about $5 here for like a 16 ounce container. There's a water that they sell at Walmart. I think it's like 50 cents. It's like $4 here. So it's like, you're going to pay that, okay. uh, that import fee for those things. So when I do go home, I, I have a little bag where I have, don't laugh at me, red cups, red solo cups, paper plates, and Cheetos. That's what I pack in my bag. You know, I think Beyonce put hot sauce on her bag. I put Cheetos, Cheetos, red cups, and paper plates in my bag. <laughs> okay. Now, 
I know that when Omicron started to spread, there were some like restrictions or it was there were some border close issues and things like that. Where, what's the situation now? Because I, I want to say I read an article that basically South Africa was like, OK, y'all, everybody didn't had Omicron. We're moving on like we're done. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're at this point we are we are open. This country has been open during the initial stages of our lockdown here. And I'll say this, which is I don't know if it's controversial or not. A lot of people were surprised that South Africa really locked down this country. The first three weeks of our lockdown in May and not May, but March 2020, you could not go anywhere. I mean, you there were only three places you could go. You could go to the doctor's office or, or hospital. You could go to the grocery store to buy food or to work. And you had to have like a special notice just to go to work because they cleared the streets. They didn't want anyone in the streets. There was no Uber Eats, no restaurants to open. The grocery stores were not even selling um, <laughs> rotisserie chicken because they felt like that was in competition with restaurants that were not open. It was like the president posted, said, hey, everybody must learn how to cook. And I actually <laughs> learned. <laughs> I actually learned. I would have been so screwed because I watched you get in there and cook. And I was like, look at her doing her thing. I would have been so screwed. I had no choice. I I, I don't even know where to begin. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, but yeah, but at this point, we started at level five. So now we're back at level one. And at this point, we had, there were some days where we had curfew and we are now off of curfew, things are open pretty much, you know, uh, Johannesburg is a party city. If you want to go to the clubs, the clubs are open till four o'clock in the morning now. So things are pretty much open. You still have to wear your mask here. They have sanitizer literally everywhere, everywhere they have sanitizer. They still do temperature checks everywhere. Tables are still spaced out. So nothing changed there. So we are still, still in that, in that life. It sounds like they found a way to like, okay, we're going to be open, but we're going to be as safe as possible, which Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have advice for other black women who are contemplating a move to South Africa specifically for black women? I will say, come here, come here, try it out, see if you like it. But even then, just come, just come. A lot of people will tell you things. They will tell you a lot of negative things. They may tell you, oh, South Africa has this reputation, that reputation is not safe or what have you. But this is one of those places where despite the reputation that they may have, I personally have not experienced any issues. I don't feel like my life is in danger or anything like that. I'm driving out here at nights, you know, I'm at clubs and, you know, stuff like that going out and I'm finding that I'm having, you know, it's been great for me. It's been a great time for me. It's been an amazing time. I've met some wonderful people. I actually see somebody from South Africa that just popped on, (laughs) just popped online here. City Boys Pansula here just popped on. So it's been great here for me, a great experience. So I will encourage anyone that wants to come out here to come come out here, try it out. If you want to do a trial run of a month, do it. You can get a visitor's visa for 90 days. You can extend it for another 90 days. If you want to stay for six months, look at all the visa categories. If you have any specialized skills, such as your engineer, you're in a medical profession, you can get a critical skills visa, which sometimes leads to 
permanent residency. If you are retired and you make a roughly a 2400 to 2500 a month in some type of income, you can come here on a retiree visa. There's so many different options for you to come here and stay long term. They even have something called a visitor visa where you can stay here for three years and you don't even have to show, I think, finances for that. Okay. Let me ask this. This is for me. Okay. With residency, either, mm-hmm. let's say permanent residency there, are you required to spend a certain number of days in the country? No. Well, the only thing is you need to pop in the country once every three years. So okay. you can just pop I can, in I can live with that. Yeah. I can live with that. I can live yeah. with that. Okay, y'all. We've got about two, three more minutes because I technically have somewhere else I need to be and Kina needs to go to sleep because it's almost <laughs> 3 a.m. in the morning. So I got, you- I got time. I got time. Okay, so if you've got a burning question about her life in South Africa, this would be the time to ask it. Were there any hiccups or unexpected things that happened? I mean, other than Hmm. COVID. And I'll just mention, I did interview Kina and a couple of other people. I see Joan is here as well to talk about like handling medical emergencies abroad. Here is the link to that. And I'll put it in the description. But other than COVID, were there any other like, ooh, I did not expect this kind of thing? Uh, well, one thing is, I'll say this, I had owned my home in California for such a long time that I, I, have, I haven't been a renter in so long that I didn't really realize what the renter process was. And for me, when I came to South Africa my first year, I decided I'm paying everything up front for a year because I don't want any hiccups. I don't want any problems or whatever. Because I think sometimes, depending on where you are, if you're an outsider trying to come into a new country, especially on the visa that I had, I have no job. I have no job. No job in, in South Africa, I should say. So no job no references, nothing. And I'm asking to rent somewhere. So for me to, to alleviate the issue of people asking me questions, I was like, you know what, how much? Okay. Boom. Here's the whole amount for the whole year. I just paid the whole amount. But I think that also triggered things because they were wondering, who are you? And how are you, you paying this? Money? Where did you get this money? What are you doing? So I've, I've made up a story. <laughs> that is not what I expected to come out of your mouth. I made up a story that I was here to write about my experiences in South Africa and talk to, to write about my life. And that kind of like quieted them down because I'm in my forties and I have a retiree visa, which is probably shocking to a lot of people for someone my age to have this particular type of visa. I've known people to have this in their thirties to have this visa, but I just basically, I think my landlord, she really didn't know I was probably a wild card, a wild card, because there are some people here. Unfortunately, she had a bad experience with a previous expat that didn't pay his rent. So here I am coming with the full amount. We negotiated. I Oh, good thing. I actually negotiated my rent. She had a price that she wanted me to pay. I was like, mm-hmm, honey, listen, I'm coming with cash. This is what you're going to take. And that's what we ended up doing. And she actually was a really excellent, excellent landlord. And, uh, you know, when I got sick, she didn't pressure me about anything. She was like, you know, take your time. And, uh, you know, it, it worked out for Christmas. I got nice gifts and, you know, 
it worked out. I'm pretty sure she she probably misses me <laughs> at this point because it here sometimes it can take a long time to get somebody in your property, and especially for the place that she you know for the rent that she wanted at the time during the height of COVID. It was probably hard for someone to, to pay what I had already no, paid she, for a year. She was very fortunate that she got yes. you. Very, yes. very yes. fortunate. Yes. There were so many empty places because I got back here in here in Mexico City, June 2020. And that mm -hmm. there were still so many empty places because, you know, people weren't going, people didn't have money to rent, that sort of thing. And that you, not only did she have you there, you paid a year up front. Like mm -hmm. she's very fortunate. Yes. <laughs> okay. Y'all, I do have to go. The Get Started Investing Bootcamp, we have our call. It should have started two minutes ago. So I'm sure they're all waiting on me. Thank you again, Kina. We appreciate it. Thank you. And maybe we'll have you back at some point to talk about some of the other things that you've been doing in South Africa that we did not. Yeah. Y'all see that ring flash right there? <laughs> we didn't get a chance to talk about that because if you were here at the beginning of the stream, you heard there was a fiance, but that didn't work out. But then something did work out mm -hmm. with somebody new. So, okay. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If you enjoyed this episode and if you want to see more episodes like this, be sure to let me know. Slide in my DMs or go to flourishintheforeign.com and send me a message via the contact page. I'd love to hear from you. So what is Move Abroad with Intention course? Well, there are two versions of the course. There is a self-study course and then there is a live version course, okay? The self-study course is a five-week self-study course with pre-recorded material and curriculum that you'll have access immediately. So once you purchase the course, you have that material and you will be walked through crafting your unique vision of a life well-lived abroad to country selection, to employment and money management, preparing to leave arriving and landing, making community, and preparing to stay long-term and repatriating. It is an all-encompassing five-week course with a complimentary Move Abroad Intention Guide, which I believe is just essential and is really foundational of the course. Now, what else do you get with this self-study course? You get access to the Move Abroad Intention course community. So you'll be able to make friends with people who are like-minded and who are preparing to move abroad as well. You'll also have access to monthly office hours with me, where I will chat about whatever you guys want to chat about in that hour. Now, the self-study course is available all the time. You can purchase it and start it at any time. And it's really great if you are unsure of your schedule, if you need that extra time, because also you don't have to do it in five weeks. You can do it as long as you want to. And you'll have that resource to help you prepare for not only a move abroad, right? but a sustainable move abroad, a move that's going to be the beginning of a new chapter of a life well lived for you. Okay. Now, if you're interested in the live version of the Move Abroad Intention course, listen up. 
So the live version of this course is not available year-round. It will only be available certain times of the year. And if you're interested in it, I highly suggest you be signed up for the Flourish the Four newsletter because that's when I will be letting everyone know when the live course is available for sign up. So the difference between the self-course and the live course is that this is a live course, right? It is going to be with me. It is five weeks of live discussion with me and the rest of the cohort. You still have access to the pre-recorded curriculum. You still have access to the community. So you get to make friends and do all those things. And of course, you'll still be invited to the monthly office hours. The major difference is that if you are looking for some accountability, and if you want to chat with me live on a weekly basis for five weeks, this is the version for you. It really comes down to you knowing yourself, how you research, and how much accountability you need. And if you want to do it live, if you want to chat with me, that's totally fine. The truth is, is that moving abroad is a hassle. It just is. And I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I know that a lot of people, maybe you included, also have a deep fear of failing abroad, meaning you move abroad, you hate it, you don't make friends, you go broke, you have to come home with your tail between your legs. Like a lot of people have that fear. And I think they have that fear because they are not moving abroad with deep intentionality. Deep intentionality means knowing yourself and knowing what you truly desire and require in this next chapter of your life and being honest with yourself. And moving abroad with intention course will help you build that foundation for a sustainable move abroad. At the end of this course, if you do the homework, you have a thick binder of research uniquely crafted for you and your life that will be the guiding star for you in this move abroad. Now, if this sounds like something you're interested in, I encourage you to sign up for Move Abroad with Intention course, either self-study or live version now. I hope to see you soon. And as always, thanks to Zach Higgs for producing the music of this podcast. I appreciate you, sir. And remember, it is not about moving abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I think raising my children abroad was the best decision I, I made for them. My only regret is that they weren't able to grow up um, immediate family or extended immediate uncles cousins all of that because i had that experience where i grew up with my cousins like we were siblings so as a nuclear family i think it, it, it forced us to be much closer but i wish that they also had those links as well where they feel like their cousins have a really good understanding of what they're going through or that they have inside jokes things that they lived through together or memories that they they could have had together 